Jonathan. How are you doing? Where are you? Uh, I'm in a hotel in Newcastle. Do you want me to turn that light off behind me? Is that really distracting? I don't mind. You can do anything. <laughs> so I've had a cooked breakfast every morning. I feel fat now. Putting a shirt on after days of cooked breakfast is never good. Well, I think I'm getting away with it. That a is player who I honestly video. think if you show me a photo of him, I'm not sure I'd be able to name him. Like, obviously, if he was wearing football kit, I would. But, like, yeah, if you yeah, showed me yeah, a picture of him, right on the back of your shirt, you might recognise him. Yeah. Should we should all go to a Fulham game at some point? Who scored day out? I like going to Craven Cottage. We should all go. It's quite easy to get tickets for, for a Fulham game. Go and let's go and watch, watch a Fulham game together. Jonathan, would, would you come? Absolutely. It's very close to my, my flat. So Here we go. Let's get this in the diary. It's exciting. Yeah. I'll look at the fixture list. I'll be on the WhatsApp straight after this show, booking that one in. Because you've been up north for a few days, your accent has become stronger. That happens to me <laughs> in Birmingham. Yeah, it, it happens, definitely. You've dropped a few more little twangs in there. I, I've noticed, I've enjoyed it so far. United and Chelsea are a long way back at the moment um, and they could quickly find themselves in a strong position to try and get back in the Champions League because it's, it's been a long, long time since they're in that competition. Josh still talking about Manchester United as a Champions League team. Come on, you've won one game, Josh. Keep dropping. That was on Sky yesterday. Just showing off to Jonathan. He to... <laughs> won't give me. He won't give me any. You know, Fafana goes. Their collection of centre backs still isn't right. Johnny Evan, you can't rely on to stay fit for the whole season. Then Daniel Amati still playing. Oh my God, what is what is going on? Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Josh from Who Scored, and delighted to say my hero, Jonathan Wilson, is back with us this week, and we're off to a great start because I tweeted him last night and he just completely ignored it. But Jonathan, how are you? I didn't say it. What did, what did you say to me? I was just saying how I needed to get an early night because I'd missed you and you were back and I was excited and it was going to be like the night before Christmas, but you didn't see it, which was what I expected, to be honest. I was I was doing an event at the Literary Philosophical Society in Newcastle, and then I was drinking. Uh, you, you can't expect me to be always on. No, uh, but no. I can't I can't I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be to be back and broadcasting with you. I know, yeah, broadcasting. You can't you can't hide your excitement, and there is a smile on your face, so I'll absolutely take that, Jonathan. Because we haven't had you on yet this season, let's talk about the Premier League season so far. What stood out for you so far? Is there a player, a team, or a trend that you're enjoying? I think what's interesting is how fallible everybody looks. Um, I mean, Liverpool obviously have have, have uh, been way off it, which is. I mean, I remember the day after the Champions League final. There was a few of us. Um, a few journalists were together in a in a bar in Paris, and we were sort of saying, "Oh, Liverpool are rubbish at the second half. They look really flat. There was nothing there. They really miss uh, you know fit Thiago." And then, even as you were saying it, you were sort of thinking, "Hang on, they've they they haven't lost a game this year. Or yeah, they lost the second leg against Inter, having won the first leg comfortably, but they hadn't hadn't lost any sort of consequential game that year until that final. And yet, actually, that that instinct that something wasn't quite right seems to be playing out." Um, but I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it is the loss of Thiago. They've lost that position. I don't know if the change to the forward line hasn't hasn't quite clicked yet. But Liverpool have been way off it. City. I, I then sort of after the first two games, I was sort of thinking, well, they they're, they're going to walk away with it. But they looked incredibly vulnerable against Newcastle on Sunday. Um, yeah, Arsenal have been very good, but you know they haven't really played anybody of any any significance yet. So hopefully the the, the it's not going to be one of those seasons where it's won with 98, 99 points. Hopefully it is going to be a bit more competitive and, and, and teams will be allowed to drop points and still still be involved in title race. Let's look at the first fixture that we're going to look at then for this weekend. It's Nottingham Forest against Tottenham. Now, Jonathan, Leicester City, their Midlands rivals, not really spent a penny just bringing in a backup third-choice goalkeeper on a free, but Nottingham Forest seem to just have endless money, a bottomless pit. They've brought about 105 players in in this transfer window. 16 they've actually bought, but there is more to come. What are you making of them so far? I mean, to an extent, the, the signings were forced on them. You know, they had five loan players last season, uh, none of whom, I think I might say none of them yet have made a deal permanent, although one could do. Uh, Bryce Samba left. Uh, there wasn't really much Forrest could do about that. So there were six players they needed to replace straight away. Plus, you probably want to bring in another three or four to, to strengthen the squad. So, to, to an extent, I, I get that they needed to bring in a lot of players, but still, bringing in 16, and it could easily have risen to, to 20 by, by the end of the window, 
is a huge number, and you do you do worry for them that that that's just too many to 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 put into a coherent system. Uh, having said that, I think Steve Cooper's structure, you know, he's very clear how he wants to play. That, that that's three four one two. I think on the evidence of the game against West Ham, they 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 seem to have bought players who who fit those roles pretty well. Um, I mean, they, they, I, I still sort of feel that four points is maybe slightly more than they should have got so far. That I think they were significantly outplayed at Newcastle. I think they were very, very fortunate against West Ham, and maybe a little bit fortunate to get a point against Everton. So I, I'm I, I'm pretty concerned for them. Uh, but I also sort of think, well, if your team coming up, as, especially when they, they've risen as quickly as they did. I mean, they were they were in the relegation place in the Championship in September last season. I think they only got into the playoff spots in in April. Um, you sort of don't really have much option. You know, there's two ways you can go. You can either say, right, we're not going to spend anything. We're going to expect relegation, and we're going to just take the money and then rebuild and come again in two or three years. Uh, which maybe is the financially sensible way to do it, but it, it's pretty miserable for fans. Or you say, right, we've we've been out of the Premier League for for what, twenty odd years, however long it is. We're, we're back. Let's absolutely make the most of it. Let's splash the cash. And if we get relegated, we we accept that we're going to be in a pretty sticky situation. Uh, I don't know what that spending means for FFP. I don't know if this is really going to limit spending in future seasons. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of slightly mixed feelings because I, I I think that four points is slightly unrepresentative. But I also think they haven't had much much option. You scared me because I went on Sky yesterday and said that Nottingham Forest were certainties to stay up, and you're telling me the complete opposite. So that scared me a little bit. Well, the, the last do you know who the last club to buy fifteen or more players in the summer was? And do you know what happened to them? I'm going to go. It was either was it Villa or Fulham? It was no? Villa. Yeah. Was it Villa? Did we buy and they that stayed Villa? Up, stayed up with fifteen. Uh, sorry, we stayed up with thirty five points. So by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, we're only stayed up because of goal line technology not working as well, yeah. as everyone tells me on Twitter all the time. <laughs> Josh, they've signed some some great players, to be fair, Nottingham Forest. But recently, the, they've signed Emmanuel Dennis. They've signed Morgan Gibbs-White for what was an astronomical fee. But actually, I look at their team, I don't really see where they where they fit in because they've got two strikers already. They've got Lingard playing, playing off him. So they're spending money on players that, you know, I don't actually see where they fit in. Yeah, I didn't really take much notice of the amount of players they had signed because like Jonathan said it was forced to a certain extent but it was really the Morgan Gibbs white deal where I thought this is getting a bit mental now um I think only Chelsea and Barcelona at the, like, at the time of recording have spent more than Nottingham Forest this summer uh, which shows the power of the Premier League compared to other European leagues at the moment but yeah it's it's hard enough to get one or two new signings to gel Nottingham Forest now needs like 16 players and I think I read this morning that Serge Aurier is about to sign for them as well, which is Jeez. which would be a red flag for me. Um, they already seem to have already got about 55 fullbacks. So to add Serge Aurier to the mix seems a bit weird to me. Um, but I guess, like, like Jonathan said, Steve Cooper's the big the big player in all of this. I don't know whether that this is something, but the fact that he's had international experience where he's used to managing groups of players that don't often play with each other, maybe that bodes well for him trying to get all these new players to gel together. Um, but yeah, it's, it just seems a bit crazy that how many players they've signed already and that they're still going. It is a it is a massive risk and a gamble, but obviously that's part force because of the way they went about getting promotion with the loan signings, like Jonathan said. But yeah, it's, it, you obviously you need options. Like you just don't want eleven players um, to try and get you through a whole season. But yeah, it does seems like when are they going to stop? They've had some some good signings. Nico Williams, for example, I think that's a smart signing. Jonathan, I think he's looked very good uh, early days. I'm sure he'll be terrified by Serge Aurier breathing down his down his neck. But you know, Nico Williams has looked very very good so far. I've thought. Uh, yeah, he has. I mean, I think the point about the fullbacks is in in that system uh, when you you have wingbacks. The, I think the physical toll on the fullbacks is is enormous, and I think we've seen that with with Tottenham that they've. Pretty consistently since the Pochettino days, had four wing backs and they've rotated them in and out. I think you saw Chelsea last season that when the wing backs got injured, they they really struggled for goals because the wing backs are so essential for getting forward and um, creating overload type of pitch. So I, I sort of see that in modern football, you probably don't just need two for each position, you probably need two and a half, three for each position. And Aurier, 
I mean, for all his recklessness at times, I, I think on his day, he's still a pretty, I mean, age, I guess, is starting to eat at him, but he's still a pretty decent wing back. Um, maybe a better wing back than, than full back because he doesn't have to do quite as much defending. Yeah. Um, and as long as he's happy being the bloke who fills in six, eight games a season, you know he works in the Premier League. Uh, I, I, I also thought that Aurier was one of the, he became one of those sort of banter players. And actually, I think he was always a little bit better than that, while clearly having the potential to go wildly off the rails. I think I was one of the people that made him a banter player as well. Reggion is they're trying to get the old band back together, the old Spurs <laughs> band, because I think they've been linked with Reggion quite heavily as well. But to be fair, they signed Omar Richards from Bayern, and he picked up a bad injury straight away. So you know they've had to buy players because they've had players on loan in the nature of the Championship, but then they've signed players to replace players, and then they've got injured as well. Let's talk about Tottenham a little bit, Jonathan. Have you been usually quite a regular watching Spurs? Have you have you been there this season? Have you seen them live? Uh, I haven't been there yet this season, no. Um... I don't think they've been that impressive, oddly. Uh, results have been good, and I think there's a sense that because that's the opposite of what you expect from Spurs, you expect them to play well and not get results, there's almost a sense that playing you know, okay and, and picking up um, uh, seven points in the three games, that that is a positive. It suggests a, a steal that they've lacked. But they were definitely second best against Chelsea. Uh, I mean, look, they, they comfortably beat Southampton, but they did fall behind in that game. They... They, they, they look pretty, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lacking in, in imagination and potency against Wolves, but but did get the win. Uh, I think Sun Hyung Min has, has, has been out of sorts. And I guess the thing they've got now is that with Richarlison there, they can have one of those forwards out, out of form and, and they can just rotate him out. Um, and, and, yeah, equally, Kulisevsky coming in last January, they're, they're, they're less dependent on Kane and Son. Um so, yeah, that's, that's the benefits of having the squad. But I, I, I don't think the midfield has quite worked yet. I think it's a danger of that system that, that you can get overmanned in the middle of midfield. I think I think Chelsea have found that as well. Um, so I, I think there's still a couple of things need, need putting right there. Uh, but, yeah, they have the potential to get a lot better given the squad. And, and, and the fact that they, they have got seven points without really hitting form is, is clearly a positive. Yeah, I think Basuma will make a difference in that midfield. I felt like that, that Wolves game was crying out for Basuma in there. I think he would have helped them in, in transition and, and an awful lot actually going both ways. But like Jonathan says, Josh, if you were a Spurs fan, you'd almost be quite refreshed and pleased by not playing well and we're winning and picking up the points because that isn't Spurs, like Jonathan says. Yeah, I think that's the massive thing, isn't it? Like Jonathan said, Son hasn't started the season well at all, which I didn't see coming at all, to be honest. He obviously finished last season top of the tree in terms of goals finished the season so strongly and I really thought that he would just kick on straight away but that obviously hasn't been the case um, but for Tottenham fans that doesn't really have to be a, a concern like this time last year that would have been a massive concern for Tottenham fans one because obviously they had Nuno in charge but then you have you're relying so heavily on Kane and Son to to basically win you games but this season they've obviously got Kuliseski and Richarlison so it's not it's not alarm bells aren't ringing straight away at the moment which is obviously a positive and as Jonathan said they're still picking up points without playing well I reckon Wolves probably would have taken something from them if they actually had someone that can score goals um, I think that's Wolves' problem really at the moment um, but Tottenham also seem to have found a new way to, to score this season they also, I think they've brought in a new set-piece coach over the summer um, and he seems to have had a massive impact straight away they've scored from set-pieces in each of their first three games um, last season, they were quite near the bottom for set-piece goals. So if they're not clicking an open play, then now they have another another way to win matches or get points. And that can only benefit them, I think, going forward. And you expect them to come good at some point in the near future. Um, so to have avoided a disastrous start, it has to be a positive. Yeah, Romero's a, a big miss at the moment, though, isn't he? Isn't he, Jonathan? They've got Romero out for a few more games. He's actually a huge part of how they play going forwards as well, ironically, even though he's a centre-back. Yeah, it's a question the way, way he presses. I mean, of the of a defensive line, he's the one who you know, who leads that line in the press. Um, I mean, yeah, I think Sanchez has played pretty well since he came in. I think Eric Dyer started the season really well, and, and I think Eric Dyer will almost certainly be in the England squad come the World Cup. May even be a starter come the World Cup. Uh, I think he's somebody who's really benefited under Conte. But yeah, Romero is is the leader of that defence. So yeah, when he's not there, that's that, that makes things harder for them. Yeah, Perisic was in the team as well. He's a, he's a lovely footballer, Perisic. Well, and I think his his um, set play delivery 
yeah. is is a big part of, of why they're suddenly looking threatening from set plays. And, and his ability at the near post, flicking the ball on, which is something I hadn't realised was a strength of his. Yeah, he's decent in the air. Perisic, really good player. Let's have some... Just on Because obviously he's made such a slow start to the season. I sort of looked into who has made the slowest start to the season based on their ratings from the back end of last season to this. So basically who's regressed the most. Um, and Andy Robertson, he suffered the biggest dip in who scored rating over the two periods. Then Christian Eriksen, Raheem Sterling, and then Sons in fourth. So, yeah, they... He it just showed like he has he's, he hasn't scored yet. He's got one assist, um, but yeah, Richarlison will probably come in for one of his first starts of the season soon. I would imagine if he doesn't pick up. Let's have some score predictions for this one. Then Nottingham Forest versus Tottenham. Josh, welcome to who scored first? We gone for two one to Tottenham. Two one to Tottenham. Jonathan, yeah, also two one to Tottenham. And I have got three one to Tottenham Hotspur. Right, next up is the Just a Minute section. I tell you what, you guys are under huge pressure after my display on the Just a Minute section last week. For those that don't know, I got ropes in last second to do absolutely no notes in front of me and I absolutely smashed it. One of the best Just a Minute performances you will ever see. So pressure on you guys this week. Well, did you want Josh, to do mine this week? I'm quite happy to, to sit back. No, no, no. I want you to, I want you to do it. I want, I want to hear your <laughs> voice. I want, you, I want you to do it. And you'd have done all your prep as well, Jonathan. I don't want that prep to go to waste. I'll tell you what I've noticed about you, Jonathan, this week so far. Because you've been up north for a few days, your accent has become stronger. That happens to me <laughs> in Birmingham. Yeah, that yeah, happens definitely. You've dropped a few more little twangs in there. I've noticed. I've enjoyed it so far. Josh Brentford against Everton for you. You're not doing the derbies anymore. Well, to be honest, we did Nottingham Forest versus Tottenham, and I couldn't think of anyone. So I Teddy Sheringham, Steve Hodge. Come on, <laughs> Brentford v Everton, Josh. Um, there's nothing much to report from the Brentford side of things in terms of team news. Thomas Frank's expected to stick with pretty much the same side that he's used in the last two matches. The only real doubt, I guess, is in midfield between Joshua De Silva and Vitaly Janot. Uh, the rest of the side is pretty settled. Um, Frank will probably be without three players again, but then the focus should should be on supplying Ivan Toni. He's made a great start to the season. Two goals, two assists in three games. Got an assist off the bench against the mighty Colchester in midweek as well. Um a settled squad is something you absolutely cannot say about Everton. It's been a disastrous start to the season, as I think many people expected. They lost Richarlison. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's injured again. Um, Anthony Gordon probably won't be involved this weekend as talk of a move to Chelsea seems to gather pace um, for an insane fee. And then it looks like they won't have Decore either because of injury. Yeri Mina, Ben Godfrey, and Andre Gomez, Tom Davies and Andros Townsend are also sidelined. Uh, Everton have lost 14 of their last 18 Premier League away games. So we're going for a 2-0 home win to Brentford this weekend. Yep, exactly the same for me. 2-0 to Brentford. Jonathan? Uh, I've gone 2-1, just because Brentford have let in five goals so far this season. So, yeah, 2-1 to Brentford. Just quickly before we move on, that Anthony Gordon move. Jonathan, have you got any thoughts on that? Because that makes no sense for any party, in my opinion. It doesn't make sense for the player or either two, in my opinion. Well, I, I can see why players want to get out of Everton. <laughs> it makes sense yeah, from that point of view. Uh, but, yeah... Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, this seems to happen with Everton players. That they get a kid who's quite good, who gets massively hyped, uh, and then so the rest, the rest of the world's are going. Are you sure, yeah, it happened with Ross Barkley as well. That, um, and you sort of th- then you, you know, as somebody who doesn't go to watch Everton that often, you sort of start to think, well, is it me? You know, do people who watch him regularly see something that I don't? But yeah, what I've seen of Anthony Gordon is he, he's a decent young player, but yeah, a, d- a decent young player. That's obviously four goals he scored, three of them deflected. Four goals, three assists, I believe. Yeah, which to, to be moving for the figures they're talking about seems incredible. But uh, if if that money is available for Everton, though, I guess that's a win for them because it's 60 million for a player who's definitely not worth that. Yeah, but to get that, what, six days, five days before the end of the window. It's not the yeah. most useful time to have it. And they desperately then will need a player before January to, to give them some kind of creative yeah. outlet. Wouldn't, wouldn't probably uh, back Everton to spend it wisely. Exactly. They've already got no one in the front three. They're already struggling. So they're going to get rid of someone in the front three to bring a striker in, but then they're going to have no one to supply a striker. And there's no guarantees that you can get a striker in with, with that money. I, I keep dropping that. I was on Sky yesterday. I just show enough to Jonathan. Wanting to, wanting to <laughs> he won't give me any. He won't give me any. But, are you um, on Sky these days, are you? Once, well, all through, through the transfer window, once a week, we'll see what happens afterwards. Right. But I've been on, I've been on once a week through. through oh, I hadn't noticed you talking about that on social media. <laughs> 
And I think you do notice. No, no dropping any likes there, Jonathan. No, no likes or retweets. I'd never like anything. I, I used likes. Uh, to you've told me that before. Yeah, you have told me that before. But I thought I'll just put a tweet out to Everton fans and see what they think. Because I thought they'd be devastated, but they're actually delighted. Delighted. Yeah. They think they think they think the fee's crazy. No, they can't believe it, and they think they, that Everton should snap Chelsea's hand off. So. That probably tells you everything that you need to know there. Let's look then at Brighton v Leeds, Jonathan. So two sides, they've both taken seven points so far. I think Brighton have probably played the better, although Leeds obviously were excellent, certainly haven't gone ahead against Chelsea. Uh, Brighton probably will be thinking they should have taken nine points to a much better side in the draw against Newcastle. Um, but that familiar failing and not being able to take the chances, not having a, a goal-scoring striker came back to haunt them again. Um, having said that, Danny Welbeck's been playing brilliantly up front for them as a as a target man holding the ball up was really excellent at Manchester United doing that. Um, two sort of different ways of of of, uh, of playing. Brighton much more patient in their approach. Uh, I think the thing was notable at United was just it was almost how slow they were in the build up, but very efficient with it. Leads a lot more aggressive, um, you know, wildness and recklessness to to their pressing. Uh, Leeds, as ever, have a load of injuries. Dallas, Firpo, Ailing uh, out. Doubts over Cooper and Bamford. Murdo and Samiento uh, out for Brighton. Both these games finished level last season. But I'm going to go 2-1 for Brighton this time. 2-1 for Brighton. Josh? No, we've gone for 1-0. And I have gone for 2-2. Two, two. I was impressed with Leeds last week. Realised what they were about when I was watching them against us. Sorry, we've got a, someone's having a food delivery here. Can you hear that on the mic? Yes. Yeah, you just hit, hit it reversing. I feel like every time I do a podcast, someone's someone has a food delivery. Like the way the noise is coming from my window, but Josh, you still had a little sneaky look out the window there just to say what, what, <laughs> what was going on in your I could, world. I could, for some reason, I thought I could see what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look now at Chelsea v Leicester, which could soon be the Wesley Fafana derby, Josh. Yeah, it's already the Ben Chilwell derby. Um, Frank Sinclair. Kulabali's uh, red card again against Leeds, I think, last weekend will probably offset quite a few changes to the back line for, for Chelsea. Uh, I'm expecting Kukurela to sort of take his position and allow Ben Chilwell back in the team. And on the, then on the other side, I think Aspelacueta might come in and shuffle Reese James out to the right wing back uh, position. Conor Gallagher hopes to get another start in midfield um, with Kante and Kovacic both looking like they're going to miss out. And then I guess it'll probably be the same front three of Mount Sterling and Havertz, although not been too impressive Havertz this season but until they sign a Bamiang I guess there's not much um, Tuchel can do in that respect. Uh, Leicester needed penalties to beat League 2 Stockport in midweek an exceptionally poor summer has unsurprisingly trickled into this season a third choice goalkeeper is the only signing to speak of at the moment and there's still uncertainty over the likes of Fafana and Tielemans at the club. Fafana probably won't play again this weekend um, and Tielemans he might come back into the side after his man of the match performance in midweek it's all looking quite desperate for Brendan Rodgers at the moment. Um, but at least Chelsea aren't in great shape themselves. Uh, and also Leicester actually unbeaten in four of their last five visits to Stamford Bridge. So maybe there's a positive there for something. They can get a point out of this game. And we're, I've actually gone for a one or draw between two underperforming sides. 2-0 uh, to Chelsea. Yeah, I've gone for 2-1 to Chelsea. Yeah, Leicester, big, big, big trouble, in my opinion. Had on the grapevine as well that Obviously, managers don't usually walk out because they won't get the payout if they walk out themselves. But actually, that Leicester, even if they wanted to sack Rodgers, they can't afford to sack him. I don't know how, I don't know how true <laughs> that is. So Leicester just fell in, a, in an absolute mess at the moment. And they can't get anyone through the door. They could lose a couple of players still, Jonathan. That, that, they could end up in relegation fight, I reckon. Yeah, they could do. I mean, I, th I think if they, w without signings, they'd still be okay, uh, probably to finish lower mid-table. But if they start losing players as well... Then that's uh, a whole other issue, uh, and I, I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Brendan Rodgers is starting to think he needs to get out of there to keep his reputation as it yeah. is. Um, that you know, he, he's one of those people who, when when we talk about Guardiola potentially leaving City, he's somebody who definitely is on City's radar, um, and I guess it depends to an extent when when Guardiola goes, but. It's much harder to to justify that that status if he's led Leicester into a relegation battle or, or 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 even into the championship. Whereas if he walks out now, if he negotiates his payoff now, and, and if if the club hierarchy are thinking of getting rid of him, he, he you know he he may be open to that just to protect his his reputation, make sure his next job is a is a good one. 
Yeah, we spoke about them being a mess in defence all last season. And, if, you know, Fafana goes, their collection of centre-backs still isn't right. Johnny Evans, you can't rely on to stay fit for the whole season. Then Daniel Amati is still playing. Oh, my God. What is what is going on? Vestergaard is still, is still there. Doesn't want to leave, but Rogers doesn't want to play him, even though he bought him a year ago. They're just all over the place. They can't hold a lead. They're scoring, I concede, straight away. Leicester have got all the traits of, of a team that's going to be in trouble this season. Let's look at now at the Jordan Ibe derby. I'm back on it now. Liverpool <laughs> against Bournemouth for you, Jonathan. And to be fair, you could name any obscure youth player that Liverpool have sold for crazy money. Like in, in Jamie Redknapp. Jamie Redknapp as well. Classic. Adam Smith. Adam, that was who I would... Adam, did Adam Smith play for? Adam Smith didn't play for Liverpool. Am I thinking of the right Adam Smith? The one that's still there? Is he yeah. called Adam Smith? No, he played for Tottenham. There, uh, there was a, there was an obscure fullback, and I can't remember his name that they bought for like six million, who'd never played for Liverpool. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. I can't remember Solanke. They put that bucket Solanke yeah. from Liverpool as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Bournemouth spent some money into the Liverpool coffers. Go on, then, Jonathan. We'll stop reminiscing. So Liverpool, yeah, two points from three games a season have looked off colour really from the, the Champions League final onwards. Um, I think they would look at that Fulham game and think that they. They probably should have won that on the second half performance. I think they'd certainly look at the Palace game and think, given they had 10 shots before Zaha scored with Palace's first shot, that they, they probably should have won that. So the, those first two draws, you could justify to an extent, it's just not quite taking their chances. But then outplayed by a struggling Manchester United. And I think suddenly alarm bells are starting to ring. To an extent, it's down to injuries that they're without Thiago, Jota, Matip, Jones, Cater, Oxford chamberlain Kanate, Ramsey and, and Nunez are suspended. But that doesn't explain why they're, they're so flat from the start. Uh, you wonder whether, as Klopp enters his eighth year, whether there's some fatigue there. Although, you know, given how close they came to quadruple last season, it's obviously absurd to be to be criticising Klopp. Uh, Bournemouth have started pretty poorly, beat Villa, but, you know, who doesn't? Uh, City and Everton. Arsenal, really judge them on that. Uh, but I think, I think Liverpool should have enough. So I'm going to say 2-0 Liverpool. I've gone for 3-0 to Liverpool. Absolutely no need to pick on Villa at all, Jonathan. Josh? Uh, we've gone for two to Liverpool as well. I think it's just mental that I think they've conceded, haven't they, first in the last seven Premier League games. But I think it's more than that. I think, I think that'll stop stop here. Yeah, Scott Parker went to Man City and kind of ripped the game off. There's every chance he might, might do the same, even though Liverpool aren't, aren't flying. But for me, no. What's happened to him? As well, he looks a shadow of his, his former self. Just can't get involved in the game at all. Can't do anything right. His touch used to be his best thing and it, it just feels completely off. So, yeah, Liverpool with work to do. Manchester City v Crystal Palace is next for you, Josh. Guardiola has said that Haaland will be rotated over the next week when they've got three games to fit in. So Julian Alvarez will will certainly come in for his first start at one point. Um, Calvin Phillips seems to have picked up an injury from that really weird friendly that they played in Barcelona on Wednesday evening. Uh, not sure what the benefit to them for the, that was. Uh, Riyad Mahrez will probably return to the side after he was a substitute against Newcastle. Bernardo Silva will probably drop back into midfield. Um Guardiola didn't like the lack of control that City had against Newcastle, particularly he, he felt that they attacked too quickly without patience and that allowed Newcastle to break. And in Palace, they have a player like Zaha, who's capable of doing similar things to Alan St. Maximin. So I'm expecting to see players like Riyad Mahrez come into the side who will slow the game down. Um, Nathan Ake and Laporte will probably miss out again, so it'll be Diaz and Stones at the back. Grealish could make could make the bench. He had a slight knee issue last weekend. Um, but yeah, he'll probably only make the bench this time. Patrick Vieira has a, a settled starting eleven at the moment. The only real doubt is who starts up front um, between Mateta and Odoir. Both forwards have put claims in over the last week or so about who should start there, so it'll be interesting to see who he picks. It's been great to see Eberucci Eze back on form. He's been a real great start to the season for him after such a torrid time with injuries over the last 12 months or so. Um, so it's not just Zaha that City will have to keep an eye on. Like I said, City need to learn from the lessons of last weekend if they're going to come away of three points. They actually failed to score home and away against Palace last season and have only won one of their last four home matches against them. But we're going to go with a narrow 2-1 win for Guardiola's side this, this weekend. You like this? I'm going to go for 2-2. Two, two. Manchester City against Crystal Palace. I like Crystal Palace. Well, I didn't like them last week when they were absolutely decimating Villa, but I like, I like them as a side. Jonathan? 3-1 um, to City. 3-1 to Man City. Also, yeah, Eze. He doesn't want, doesn't want to be called Eze. Anymore, it was announced last week. Ezra, Ezra, yeah, it's changed. It, I, I don't know. Maybe that's how it always should have been, and people have just been getting it wrong. But yeah, the commentator said it about fifty times on the on the, on the feed. I was watching the the Palace v Villa game last week. Uh, where are we? 
Oh, great. Jonathan Villa v West Ham for you. The Marlon Harewood derby. What the Nigel Rio Coca derby? Heroes of the game. Thomas Hitzelsberger. Thomas Hitzelsberger, my friend. Excellent. Is he? Yeah. yeah. I know Thomas Hitzelsberger very well. He can kick a ball very hard, can't he? Oh, he could. Very, very. Uh, I don't know whether injuries caught up with him. I don't know whether he still whether he still can. Yeah. Good footballer, though. Good player. Yeah, yeah. I, I think real pressure on both sides. I think whoever loses this and manages under a bit of pressure. Um, so West Ham, uh, three defeats out of three this season, haven't scored a goal yet. Uh, if you go back into the last season, they've lost eight of the last ten. And the only win in that, uh, I think, was against Norwich, which... Yeah, barely counts, given how bad Norwich were at the end of last season. They've brought in new signings, which I think is always a little bit of a an issue with David Moyes, that his, his preferred signing are people with experience in England or Czechs. Uh, but they brought in three from France, the two they have signed from English clubs, uh, Cornet and Palmieri. Palmieri, I think, 20 games for Chelsea, Cornet one season at, at Burnley. Possibly fatigue there with, with Rice and Bowen as well. Um, Villa did beat Everton, but, you know, it's Everton. Um, but even in the last 11, last season, there were only wins against Norwich and Burnley. I think big questions about Steven Gerrard. Diego Carlos out, uh, Kufal and Dawson both out to West Ham. Uh, West Ham won both games last season, 4-1 at Villa Park and 2-1 at uh, London Stadium. But I'm going to go 1-1 this time. I'm going to go 3-1 to West Ham, unfortunately. I just think that that just come that just come good. I, I, I just know it's exactly the type of team that Villa can't play against a physical side. I, I hate predicting Villa to lose, but I'm just being honest, Josh. <laughs> we, we've gone for one all as well. Same with Jonathan. Yeah, God, oh, I'll take one one at, at the moment. Villa don't draw games either. That's 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 another problem. They either win or they lose. More often than not, they'll lose. Wolves v Newcastle to finish then for you, Josh. Uh, the good news is for Wolves that Real Jimenez scored in the cup of midweek because they're desperately missing a goal scorer at the moment. Um, without one, they just look like they're going to hammer teams nil-nil um, until they concede late on like they did against Tottenham. Um, they're at least trying to look into remedy that in the transfer window, which is a positive for them. Uh, but they could use some of the cash that Newcastle have got because they look like they've just gone out and signed a club record deals uh, for Alexander Isaac. He might not be involved. I don't know if the deal's going to go through in time, but... His arrival is a massive boost because Callum Wilson has already succumbed to injury um, and they desperately need a reliable striker if they're going to try and push for Europe this season. Uh, Matt Target returned in midweek as well, which is a massive boost for them because Dan Byrne looks like he's going to sit out again with concussion. Ryan Fraser and John Joe Shelby will probably miss out too. It looks like at some point in this game, we're going to have Adama Traore and Alan St. Maximum on the pitch and that is just going to be complete carnage. Uh, both players love dribbling with the ball and are pretty good at it. So there'll be a lot of um, pretty highlight reel moments for both of them. But we're expecting Newcastle's unbeaten start to the season to continue here in what should be a tight game. Three of the last four between the sides at Molyneux have ended 1-0, but we're going to go for a 1-0 Newcastle victory. 2-0 Newcastle for me. Jonathan? 1-0 Newcastle. I know Newcastle. I always get told off because I always predict Wolves to lose and not score. But it does feel a, sen- a sensible shout quite, quite a lot of the time that, that they won't score. It's, can Isaac play? Can, can he play wide as well? Or is he just a striker? Yeah, he can play from the left coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good sign in that. Well, come from no, it's come from, what come I from don't nowhere. Why have they signed him and Joe Pedro? Who, who I, I get why they want a little bit more mobility up front. They look at Callum Wilson and um, Chris Wood, and you think. Yeah, as, as a target man, as a, as a sort of focal point, they work. But if you want somebody with a bit of pace coming from deeper, I, I totally get why they, they want to play like that. I just don't quite understand why they signed two when they have Sam Maxima, who was brilliant last Sunday. And I mean, yeah, it's never a bad thing to have a bigger squad, but it just seems that wasn't an area that really needed strengthening to bring in two. And one of them, yeah, but two of them just seems a bit odd. I think Sam Maximum, I think he might end up playing on the right some, sometimes. I think he. He'd be very good down 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 the right hand side, but I don't know whether you know Jonathan. I was on Sky yesterday, and I said about Shal uh, Pedra, he's a bit of a Richarlison signing because he can kind of cover all three positions. So he, I thought that made yeah, he can come sense. from the right. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's a, a good sign. Just the fees nowadays. There's no point talking about fees anymore because they they just are. They all look. Anyone who comes in now looks expensive, but the fees that's just the way they've got. Let's look now. At well, okay, here's here's a question for you. Oh, I like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this might be 24 hours out of date, but at the point when Morgan Gibbs-White was signed by Forrest, uh, looking, if you if you have all fees in pounds, and clearly, you know, I exchange don't. rates have changed, the, the, these figures are always slightly debatable, depending whether the deal was done in euros or, or whatever. But if you if at the moment they were done, 
and obviously, you know, what what you include in add-ons. Uh, but by by the figures used by Transfermarkt, Morgan Gibbs White at the moment he signed, and you do the deals in pounds, was the what most expensive player of all time. So in the sense that um, yeah, Neymar is the, the most expensive player of all time. Right. And I don't know, is Kylian Mbappe the second most expensive player of all time? Yeah. So what, what number is Morgan Gibbs-White in the all-time list of expensive transfers? Is Coutinho still third? Um, 18th. No. All t- across, across the world? Across all time, across the whole planet. Wow. I'll go 87. Oh, not bad. Is the 100th most expensive player of all time? I, that. I nearly went for around 100. That's a crass. That is mad. That is madness, isn't it? Yeah, that a is player who I honestly think if you showed me a photo of him, I'd not sure I'd be able to name him. <laughs> like obviously, if he was wearing football kit, I would. But like, yeah, if you showed me a picture right on the back of his shirt, you might, might recognise him. Yeah, that is that is a that is a good stat, Jonathan. Thank you, thank you. Top, top one hundred. So we'd be dropping out of that top one hundred. Pretty quickly, next, yeah. In the next hour, probably. <laughs> yeah. Might not even be the 100th most expensive Nottingham Forest signing there in the window. Yeah, that's true. Let's look now at Arsenal against Fulham. Arsenal, top of the league, absolutely flying, Josh. Does that give you hope for the future with Manchester United? That You know, this time <laughs> last year, we were all laughing laughing at Arsenal. Now that you kind of see what, the, what they've done and it's all worked out. It does show that, in, in a way, managers do need a bit of time. I think it helps the documentaries on at the moment as well. My views are always very skewed when there's a documentary going on. I, I, to be fair, there is a bit of hope because... Arsenal are now reaping the benefits of the decisions that Arteta made at the start of uh, this year, where he got rid of a lot of players where he didn't think matched the ethos of the culture of the club that he wanted to create. Um, and now you see this this team who's young, hungry. They all seem to be together. Um, all the signings have come and have done exceptionally well. Saliba's come back and obviously he's made a great impact. Um, so that if Manchester United did the same as that, get rid of the likes of Ronaldo and that sort of thing, then maybe 12 months' time we'll be in a similar position. But for Arsenal, I think it's been like with Gabriel Jesus in particular, I, we spoke about him in the summer that he was the best signing that Arsenal could have made in their position in terms of signing a striker. But I've even I've still been surprised by how good he was. I think it's interesting because leading the line for Brazil and Manchester City seemed to weigh on him a little bit. Um, like He had the pressure of the iconic Brazilian strikers on his shoulders and then he had to try and live up to Aguero at City. But at Arsenal, he seems to have been empowered by the responsibility. Um, he's already, I think he's already been made one of like the vice-captains, which could be a masterstroke by Arteta just to make him feel even more confident. But yeah, he's already had a direct hand in five goals this season, um, which no one can better in the league. Only Dean Henderson has got a better who scored rating of new signings in the Premier League. And I think this is the first time Arsenal have started the league campaign with three wins since the Invincibles year. I think that's that's correct. Um, so like things couldn't have gone better. But obviously, as Jonathan said at the start of the show, they're yet to play anyone. That's really going to test them. And I guess that will come probably next weekend against Manchester United if they can continue how they performed on Monday. But it's been a it's been a dream start, and they need to capitalise on it because obviously Liverpool, United, and Chelsea are a long way back at the moment. Um, and they could quickly find themselves in a strong position to try and get back in the Champions League. Cause it's been a, it's been a long, long time since they're in that competition. Josh still talking about Manchester United as a Champions League team. Come on, you've won one game, Josh. Let's all calm down <laughs> a little bit here. You say about about tough games, Jonathan. I actually think this is a tough. Game. I've been really impressed with Fulham so far. I naively had them down. Oh, they'll go straight back where where they came from. They've made some smart signings and they look a good outfit. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's been slightly odd in that. Um, they could easily win all three games, and yet they need a last-minute winner from Mitrovic, having chucked away two goal lead against Brentford, even to have one win. So, but I think they can, you know, legitimately say they, they could have. It wouldn't have taken much to go differently for them to have nine points at the minute. Uh, Mitrovic looks dangerous, which is, um, I, I think, that was the big doubt that he scored so many goals in the Championship. That he was such a big part of that promotion campaign, but hasn't really done it in the Premier League before. But the way he he um I mean really unsettled Virgil van Dijk that, that first first game of the season. I mean Van Dijk arguably hasn't hasn't really recovered from that. So I, I think that's a huge positive for them. But I just think the structure looks really good. Um and yeah, I I, I yeah, I mean it's very early, but I'd be surprised now on what I've seen if they if they go straight back down. Pat oh, I mentioned him every week so far. In every podcast I do, but Paul Hainier in, in midfield, Josh, he, he looks a great player. That, that is such a good signing, such a clever signing. I, I think that it also just sums up how 
what a strong position the Premier League are in at the moment in terms of financial financials because Paulinho is definitely a player that could play above Fulham but Fulham have somehow managed to get him from Sporting the same with Nunez for for Wolves although I guess it's a bit different because they are basically Portugal FC um, but the fact that these clubs are able to sign players who could definitely be playing in the in European competitions just shows how strong and deep the league is going to be this season as Jonathan said earlier it's probably not going to be a 90 plus point uh, title in this season because there will be a lot of unexpected results because there are so many teams that look so much better this season um, but yeah Fulham have made a much better start to the season than I was expecting I think as Jonathan said the fact that Mitrovic has sort of started the season well was really important because he was a player that was sort of lingering in that bracket of a player that could smash it in the championship but couldn't cut it in the Premier League and he started the season with three goals in three games he's one of the top 10 rated players in the Premier League according to our ratings at the moment um, yeah, so it's been a it's been a good start, and it'll be a good test for for Arsenal this, I think. As you said, we should all go to a Fulham game at some point. Who scored day out? I like going to Craven Cottage. We should all go. It's quite easy to get tickets for for Fulham game. Go and let's go and watch watch a Fulham game together. Jonathan, would would you come? Absolutely, it's very close to my my flat. So there we go. Let's get this in the diary. It's exciting. Yeah. I'll look at the fixture list. I'll be on the WhatsApp straight after this show, booking that one in. I don't have lost myself. Looking forward to that day trip. Where are we on the, on this podcast now? Anything else you want to say about Arsenal, anyone? I feel like we didn't cover them really in depth, but they have been impressive so far. Saliba, Jonathan, do you like Saliba? Oh, he's been hugely impressive, yeah. Um, mm. I, yeah, I was, he was one of those players, you know, young player with a big reputation. Uh, obviously had a very good season in France last year, uh, but you always do slightly wonder about adaptation to the to the Premier League. And again, yeah, there's that caveat, Palace, Leicester, Bournemouth. They are, I mean, particularly Leicester and Bournemouth, I don't think they're teams who present an enormous attacking threat. Um, so there will be much tougher tests to come and, and, and maybe against Mitrovic is, is his biggest test so far. But but yeah, the first three games, it couldn't really go much better for him, apart from the own goal he scored, obviously. <laughs> Even that seems to sort of um, accentuate his sort of hero status because everybody was sort of singing his name immediately afterwards. And that's, that's to hear that song at Bournemouth last week. It was just, it was just constant, the, the Saliba song last week at playing Bournemouth. It was all you heard the entire game. I'm still thinking about beers by the river with, with Jonathan Wilson. What's your beer of choice, Jonathan? <laughs> what have you got your go-to beer? Uh, well, what I was drinking last night is uh, is Jarl, which is... I've never uh, heard of it. It's it's very light. It's uh, 3.8%, hmm. um, sort of a, a, a light bitter. Uh, I can't oh. be doing it. If get anything beyond for four, four point two percent, I just can't be doing with anymore. I like a um, neck oil, but they're dangerous. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't mind the taste of a neck oil, but yeah, it's getting a bit, bit on the strong side. Score predictions then for Arsenal v Fulham. I've gone one nil to the Arsenal. Jonathan, three one to Arsenal. Three one to Arsenal. Josh, two nil to Arsenal. So are we going to league table this again? Even though yeah, I'll, um... I started to do too well and everyone stopped caring about the league table last season. Like, because I was winning, Martin just binned it off. It felt like last <laughs> season. Yeah, I'll make I'll make notes. Please. And if you're doing well, I'll stop. Stop it again. Yeah. <laughs> Considering, I mean, Jonathan doesn't like fantasy football, but I'm bottom of nearly every fantasy football league I'm doing this season. The worst start I've ever had. So I need to be good at something this season because Bill are a crap. My fantasy football is crap and I'm still crap at FIFA. So I need to be, I need to be good at something. So score predictions is going to be my thing. Let's look now at Southampton against Manchester United, Josh. And as I said at the start, you're probably buzzing on Monday. But it was good to see a performance from Manchester United and you kind of got a taste of what Ten Hag wants to do and he made some clever tactical tweaks in, in that game. But I actually think this is now the acid test going away to Southampton because I actually think they'll lose. Yeah, OK. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would be very typical of United in the last few years to put in a very good performance or get a very good result and then to follow that up with something poor and to drop points. Um, but I do think, as you said, I think Ten Hag's position has definitely um, strengthened from the decisions that he made to drop Maguire, Shaw and Ronaldo. Um, everyone that came in for those players performed well. Um, I still I still worry about if Ronaldo s- sticks around beyond the transfer end of the transfer window. I don't think anything good can happen from a from Ronaldo staying at the club if he's going to spend more time on the bench um, than he is on the pitch. There's no way he's he's not going to kick off in some in some form. So I would be a bit a bit concerned about that, but yeah, I think the performance against Liverpool was really good from the from the from the way that they worked. Like, like I said earlier in the show, like the fact that they actually ran around a lot was just refreshing for Manchester United fans. They haven't really seen a team that's 
that seemed to care a great deal um, in recent times. I think that was really symbolised by Lissandro Martinez's performance. I think I just loved the aggression that he brought. He looked like he was ready to fight anyone that came near him. Uh, I think Martinez versus Milner was the duel that no one expected from that game. Um, but yeah, he, he performed really well. Uh, but like the, the, there was still lacked quality at times, I thought. Everyone was quite sloppy in possession at times. But I think that can be to be expected against a team like Liverpool. Even though they didn't perform well, they still have that aura about them that they can sort of take the possession from you at any, po- at any point and sort of uh, put you put you away. But but yeah, we'll have to see how it goes this weekend because it would be very typical of United to, to drop to drop points. But they've set the standards now in terms of work rate. And I think fans are really going to hold them account- accountable to that. And you're just talking about Ronaldo, Josh. You know, when he's scoring 90th minute winners or equalises in the Europa League, you'll you'll absolutely love him again, won't you? Yeah, he's going to be Europa League, maybe your Europa League go-to player this season, which but, I'm sure he'll love. Yeah, he's going to absolutely, if that's the case, he'll absolutely hate that. And he'll probably refuse to play, to be honest. Um, but he, like even before the game, when he walked up to the Sky cameras to speak to Gary Neville, Blank Carragher and embrace Roy Keane, he knew exactly what he was doing there. Um, like that wasn't just a pleasant chat. He knew that he wanted to be in the, in the picture somehow. Um, and there'll be plenty more of that if he stays. Um, and he'll be he'll be waiting for things to slip up as well. And then there'll be leaks probably from the dressing room, probably from his his side of things. But yeah, I do hope that he leaves. It was linked with Marseille yesterday, which I didn't really understand at all. Jonathan, Manchester United have signed a central midfielder. Finally, after all these years, they've got a central midfielder of substance through the door. It's Casemiro. Good signing, bad signing. What do you think of that? Well, he's a good player. Um, and I think in the short term, it's an area where United, yeah, have, have been lacking. Um, I think the fact that he's played successfully at international level with Fred is 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 a positive. But as ever with United, you look at the long term picture and you think you're giving a five year contract to a thirty year old. Um, you, you're paying him an enormous amount. Um, you know, successful teams, teams who plan well don't sign players over the age of 30. So uh, City haven't signed a 30-year-old since Bakary Sanya in 2014. Liverpool haven't signed a 30-year-old since Ragnar Clavan in 2016. It feels like another short-term patch in a team that's made up of short-term patches. Now, I think this patch is a a pretty good patch, but and I'd like to think this is sort of clearing the ground for the start of of this sort of philosophical overhaul that, that Ten Hag presumably has been brought into an act. And nothing I've seen since Ferguson left 2013 suggests they have the patience or the wherewithal of the footballing lodge to do that. Josh, I'm sure you'll you'll be pleased, won't you, to get a sign? Because, you, you, that, like I said, that midfield's needed a refresh. My only slight concern, well, not my only, one of my concerns would be Real Madrid don't usually let players go unless there's something up. Yeah, like, I'm really conflicted about the signing. Like On one hand, he is a great player. Um, but on the other hand, as Jonathan said, how how they've gone from pursuing Frankie Dion all summer to briefly flirting with Rabiot for a little bit to then ending up with Casemiro, just, it just rings alarm bells. It just, it just tells me that United are acting without strategy once again. Um, and obviously, Dion and Casemiro interpret that position so completely different to one another. Um, so I'll, like, I'll be shocked if Ten Hag asked Casemiro to play the way that he was going to go into with Dion. Um, but then Casemiro has gone from playing with Tony Kroos and Luka Modric who he'd win the ball back and let them do give them the ball to now he's he's potentially going to play with players like McTominay. Um, and I just think Christian Eriksen is going to be so important now um, if Casemiro is the only midfield signing that Manchester United do make because he's the one player that you look at who has the ability to play from deep and play efficiently. Bruno Fernandes hasn't got the patience for or He hasn't shown that he has the patience for that sort of role. Um, we even saw it against Liverpool uh, towards the end when it was in stoppage time, I think, and Fernandez tried this outrageous pass to try and get Ronaldo through on goal, but just ended up giving the ball straight back to them. Um, but yeah, but then on the other hand, I, I can't lie and say I wasn't buzzing when I saw Casemiro in the stadium and when I saw him uh, go up to Roy Keane, like, that was a great moment. And he, like Manchester United fans have been crying out for a defensive midfielder for years now. Um, we finally signed one, but all summer we've been led to believe that we were going to sign a player that wasn't your typical ball winner, but was more of a ball player. So, yeah, I just can't shake the feeling of how we've just ended up with Casemiro. That would concern me, to be honest. 
I loved that moment because Roy Kane, he tries to be mean and tries to be cool, but you could see he was absolutely buzzing with Casemiro yeah. coming, coming over to him. I, I really, really enjoyed that moment. It's a bit like the Manchester United transfer team. Like they've got a, bun- a bunch of like trading cards, like footballer trading cards, and they, they can't get the midfielder from Barcelona, so they go and look at what's in the Real Madrid trading cards back. And they, they just decide to pick someone from there instead. That, that's what it feels like a little bit. But he's, you know, he's he's a good player for the next few years at least. I think it, it will help Manchester United. I don't think he's going to make them worse, which is probably the main thing at the moment for Manchester United. He, he should at least, like, if you're a defender, you would at least be certainly more confident with him in front of you than you would with McTominay or, or Fred in that sort of number six position. So exactly. in that respect, it should be a positive. But it's just, he at Real Madrid, he was very used to sort of being quite deep, being quite close to that defence. And obviously, Ten Hag, the way that he would likes to play is to try and be further up the pitch. So it'll be interesting to see who adapts in that sort of that, that um, respect. Quick word on Southampton so far this season, Jonathan. I mean, I think they're in big trouble. I, I think um, things have looked ragged for a little while there now. I think their summer signings are very focused on youth, which mm. can go two ways, but I think it is a gamble. I think changing Hasenhutl's backroom staff suggests the club aren't entirely comfortable with with him. Um, fought back well against Leeds. Uh, got to give him credit for that. Um, and yeah, they, they they they've got to win by by beating Leicester. Uh, so four points is a is a reasonable return from three games. I, I I sort of I feel this game will be harder for United in some ways than, than the Liverpool game in that suddenly there's expectation and. I think, although Hasenhutl likes to play on the front foot, I think Southampton can sit deeper. And I'm not sure that... The thing I always criticised United for under Solskjaer was they were great when there's space behind the opposing defence. But when there's not, do they have the craft, the guile to, to unpick it? And, and that question, I, th- I think, still still hasn't been answered. So I still think United will win, but I think this this will be a... I think there's a potential this to be quite a frustrating game for them. Go on then, Jonathan. Let's have your score prediction. 2-1 to United. 2-1 to United and Josh? Same 2-1. This is May United have really struggled at St Mary's um, recently at least, so I think yeah, it's going to be another tough game. 2-1. And this is how you get yourself top of the league. I'm going to go Southampton 2, Manchester United 1. These are the differentials that can move you up or make you look absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, I, I just think I've got a feeling that Southampton, that for, for some reason, Chai Adams will be the most dangerous forward on that pitch when they play for some reason. I don't know he why. Scores, I, think I think he scored. He did score in the last game between the two sides, and he scored four goals in his last two games. So, yeah, it's just one of those games where it will, it will just be ridiculous. Football can be ridiculous sometimes, and Chai Adams, I think, will just cause Manchester United problems. So, yeah, two-one to Southampton for me, and that does us. Oh, what a great podcast! Really, really enjoyed it, and we've got a day out planned as well. It's the perfect podcast for me. Everything's gone right for us there. Thanks ever so much for watching. If you're not already subscribed to the channel with your post notifications on, if you could please do that, we'd really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Josh. Thanks to Jonathan, and as ever, stay safe. Thank you.